Now I'm uh, glad to welcome Pastor Ben Horvitz, who's going to... Am I on? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm way loud. You guys have to... <laughs> you got to turn that down. Yeah. Sound like a chipmunk talking through this. <laughs> All right. I just got to find my stuff here. Because... There we go. All right. I got to tell you, um, I, the licensing went last week, and it was, I'm going to pace, by the way, so Ryan, just kind of stay with me. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was an awesome thing to go through, and, and it just was such a, a big step in this process for me. But I got to tell you, man, I have been under it all week. Time just kind of flew by this week, and I, I got hit with a um, huge assignment from school I wasn't expecting. So that was going to occupy hours and hours and hours of my week. I wanted to finish up writing the sermon, which was going to occupy hours and hours of my week. We had birthdays to celebrate, Linda and myself. Um, that takes some time. I had to drive Caitlin, my lovely little youngest daughter, to the airport on Friday. And if you drive into New York City or out of New York City on Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock, you know how long I spent in the car. Um, Caitlin is currently in London. Um, she does not understand the time difference between London and New York. I got a text message this morning. Hey, Dad, we're seeing the changing of the guards at 5 a.m. So, uh, Caitlin, thank you for that. Um, I didn't expect to be up here so soon. Uh, just get pastored last week, and I'm already up here working, which is fine. Um, I guess the rookies get Father's Day, right? Is that how it works? <laughs> um We've probably listened to a million variations of Father's Day sermons. There's probably not one um, that you could think of. And by the way, um, I fixed the podium because um, normally when I talk, I have a guitar. It's like my shield. And I told him, I don't think I could walk around up there with nothing. So I fixed this podium this morning just so I could stand behind it. <laughs> um, so I don't know what else could possibly be, can be said about Father's Day. So I hope you're not waiting for some great revelation because I don't know what it is either. This is what I do now. I'm a father. Three kids. And yes, my daughter Chelsea is here this morning, and you are sermon fodder, just so you know that. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I, I, I choose my words very carefully. Um, and I, as a father, I have done some really good things, I think. And I've done some not so good things. And uh, we learned. Because these kids come and, and we have to kind of learn on the fly. I understand how difficult it is to be a godly father, or better yet, a godly man in this ungodly world. So whether or not you have natural children of, of your own, or, or as a godly man, you're still supposed to set examples for kids and the children around us. We dedicate our children here in the front of this church. And we stand here, and the pastor asks this simple question, who here is going to join with me? To help raise these kids. And we have all kinds of men and women stand up here. How are you doing with that? Are, our children, are we investing in our children in this church enough to say that we are helping them grow in a godly manner? And if not, what's something we need to work on? So, before I get started, I guess I have to tell the, the uh, oblig obligatory? Is that the word, Chelsea? All right, obligatory. See... 
My daughter is an English major, so I'm terrified. <laughs> and by the way, Ryan did all the slides for me, so I know that there should be no uh, grammar problems, Chelsea, okay? Just so you know that. Because <laughs> if anybody sat through my Sunday school class downstairs, you know what that looks like. That's not that funny. <laughs> all right, so I have to tell my obligatory father, Father's Day joke, so here we go. This takes place before they allowed men to come into the delivery room. When men and fathers stood out in the waiting room and just waited for it to happen. There's three fathers out in the waiting room. And they're all waiting for their child to be born. And the nurse comes out and she goes up to the first father. She says, hey, Mr. So-and-so, congratulations. You're a father of twins. And he goes, whoa, okay. I play for the Minnesota Twins, so I guess that's all right. And he's happy. Nurse comes out a little while later. She goes to the second father. Congratulations, sir. You're the father of triplets. He goes, wait a minute. I got to hang on. So after he catches his breath, he says, well, I work for 3M. So, all right, I guess I'll have to deal with that. She looks over, and the third father is in the corner in the fetal position crying. <laughs> crying. And she skulks over. She goes, sir. What's the matter? You're having a baby. This is awesome. He says, no, you don't understand. I work for 7-Up. <laughs> the Bible is full of references about fathers and about the proper way to be a father. Obviously, we have the greatest example of what a father is in God. But I can't obtain that. So how do I be a godly dad in an ungodly world? This world is not a great place to raise a kid. It's tough. It's tough. Children are being pulled from every different direction right now. And the one solid, the one anchor that they have is their moms and dads. And it has to be. Over the course of just my lifetime, the role of fathers changed dramatically. And if you think about that, from the sole breadwinner who really didn't get involved in the everyday goings-on of the children to ones who are overly involved or involved in everyday life of the children. And you look at things like, well, again, I'm just going to say this. To fathers right now who are running children everywhere, and I was one of those dads, we decided that our kids were going to do everything. So we... Let them do everything. We did football practice and softball practice and cheerleading practice and baseball practice. And, and I was trying, I thought that that was the way to do this correctly. I really did. Um, and I, I maybe was overcompensating a little bit. I love my dad, but my dad was a typical 50s dad. And he wasn't the guy that was every day, you know, out in the yard. So maybe I was doing a little bit. And, and like I said, I love my dad. He was a great father. And I, and I would never speak ill of him. But it was just a different time for dads. Over that time, though, of my lifetime, we've watched the concept of a father change. Think about some TV shows back in the day. My three sons. Father knows best. Fathers who were the breadwinners, who were... Men that you could look up to, Andy Griffith, all those kind of shows you saw. They were always fathers who were strong figures, who were um, people that you'd want to emulate. 
What happened over the course of the time is we started getting TV shows like Tool Time. And TV shows like, and I don't recommend it, The Simpsons. Where the father is all of a sudden the bumbling idiot. And the mother has started to become the strong figure in the house. The concept or society's concept of a father has changed. But God's concept of fa- as a father has never changed. I read an article yesterday, and uh, it just goes to show how the world continues to want to do away with um, God's idea of a family. The article was, uh, there's a push now for Father's Day to be changed, the name of it, to Special Person's Day. Come on, really? Honestly? But it just goes to show how society has done this and how society wants to do away with this. How frightening it's going to be. And I am going to be a grandpa. Um, I'm excited about that. I I didn't know if I would be at first, but I'm excited about that. You know, my daughter is here and her husband is here this morning. And thank you guys for coming. Um, And you guys are going to have a challenge. I'm going to talk directly to you. You guys are going to be challenged. It's a tough place to raise a kid, and I'm not going to lie. But you have a good family support around you. You have people around you. You have people to talk to, and that's a great thing. So how do we raise children and be godly men in this ungodly world? Enoch. Yeah. I'm going to talk just a two seconds on Enoch. I wish, you know, I, I wish there was more in the Bible about Enoch, but there's only a few verses in there. I think he's only mentioned three times. But Enoch was Noah's great-grandfather. And he managed to be a godly man in a world that the Bible describes as this. Genesis 6-5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth. And every intent of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. That's before the flood. Does that sound familiar? And even in a world like this, where God was actually sorry that he made men, Enoch walked with God. And if Enoch can do it, so can we. So what does that mean to walk with God? It's easy to say that, but what does it actually mean? And, you know, we hear that phrase a lot. Oh, you know, if you walk with God, it's so easy to just say that. But there's something that has to be done. Walking with God means that we are going in the same direction. That requires you to do what? Give up your own direction. Give up the way that you want to go. And that's a tough thing. You know, God's direction, um, it means I'm going in God's direction, not the direction of the world around us. Because as we see trends come and trends go, things move, things go, we have to stay steady. Our kids need us to stay steady in these changing environments that are constantly around us. Walking with God, we're walking, we're walking in God's direction when we're walking with God. That's not easy. It requires discipline and sacrifice on our part and may even giving up, mean giving up our dreams. That's hard to accept that because we think what? We know what's best. We think we know what we should be doing. And I understand giving up your dreams because I did. And I can tell you I'm thankful that I did it. I'm thankful that my dream is no longer 
to move to Florida at all cost. You guys know the deal, and I've said it before. I've shared it with you. I was going to Florida at all costs, and I even told Linda, I'll go down and you can come visit me on the weekends. I didn't mean that for the most part. But when God started working in my life, that dream went away. I don't, I don't desire, it's not something that I drive after. I'm not going to lie to you. I like this kind of weather, and I love Florida weather. Mark, you don't have anything to do with Florida, so good for you. Um, and I would, still, I would still like to be there, but it's not the driving factor in my life anymore. And I had to give that up to walk with God and walk where he wants me to walk. Galatians 5.16 There we go. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Me moving to Florida and my dad's drive was a desire of my flesh. It was not the desire that God had for me and the plan that God had for me. When we walk with somebody, we're, walking in, we're not walking in different directions. I go for walks all the time with Linda. Well, try to anyway. And it, we walk together. So when you're walking with God, you're walking in the same direction. You're walking with God means that your focus will be on him and not you. If you're consistently walking with God, you better understand how God will direct your paths. Walking with God does not mean that we have our devotions in time 15 minutes in the morning. Because that's, I mean, that's a cop out. I always, I, and I've done that for a long time, man. Oh, let me get my little uh, daily bread reading in this morning and, and I'm good. Or let me get my uh, little prayer in before bed, and that's good. And that, that, that means I'm walking with God. Now, that's not what that means. Walking with God's a lifestyle. It's everything that you do. It's how you interact with people. It's in the car when you're driving and there's nobody else in the car with you. Just because nobody's around doesn't mean you have to stop, you stop walking with God. Leonard Ravenhill. He was an uh, English Christian evangelist, an author who focused on subjects of prayer and revival, says this. Smart men walked on the moon. Oops. Daring men walked on the ocean floor. But wise men walked with God. Walking with God means we live by faith. And this is the difficult part. And at times, ultimately, for us to walk by faith means we have to believe that God is good and that God is sovereign. 2 Corinthians 5.7 For we walk by faith, not by sight. Ooh. Nobody told us what was coming when we had our first baby. You can read all the books you want. You can go to all the classes you want. You can study everything that you can possibly study, and I promise you, you are not going to be ready for it. I promise you. We were 24 years old when we had our first baby. Up until that point, we had zero responsibility, really. We could do what we want. We ate out. We did everything we wanted to do. And all of a sudden, well, it wasn't all of a sudden. We kind of knew it was coming. <laughs> We have this little human blob in our house. It didn't come with instructions. I looked. 
I thought the hospital would send home some kind of owner's manual. I even checked in a diaper to see if it was printed. There wasn't owner's manual in the diaper, trust me. And there she is sitting on our, she doesn't move. She can't talk. And I really wish if we could, please, can you send them home so they can talk? What do they do? They eat, they sleep, they cry, and they, you, you know the other one. And that's all they do. So what do we have to do? We have to trust God and how to deal with this little person that depends on us for their very existence. They can do nothing. So we pray. Oh, this is going to make So we pray. We continue to trust God and how to do this. And we, you know, I remember getting up in the middle of the night and standing over her bassinet. And Linda would wake up and she goes, what are you doing? I said, I just want to know that she's breathing. Terrified. 24 years old, terrified. But I have to say, Chelsea was the easiest baby ever. Ever. Six months old, she slept through the night. I'm like, this is a piece of cake. (laughs) Boom, boom. You get her up in the morning, you'd feed her. You'd put her in her little thing, and she would play and occupy herself with blocks and books and everything else. And I'm like, this is a piece of cake. I'm good. Who said this parenthood thing is hard? This is great. So we thought we were learning it all. We're still trusting God, pushing forward. And we go, well, we got this down. Let's have another one. (laughs) So we have another one. He doesn't work like the first one. (laughs) So what does he do? He wants to be everywhere you are and won't let you go anywhere without you. At nine months old, he's still waking up every two hours to eat. And I'm going, wait a minute. Wait, wait, no, wait. This can't be right. This can't be right. So now I'm like, we have to trust God with a whole new set of circumstances with this. How do we do this? So we figured after the second one, we had it down now. We had got both ends of the spectrum. We are baby experts. (laughs) And then we have baby number three. And she doesn't fit in any mold. She still doesn't fit in a mold. And I go to Linda. Did you keep the receipt? Because I think this one's broken. (laughs) We have to trust God when we're raising kids because we have no clue how to do it. It's a trial and error thing. I'm thankful to say that all my children made it to adulthood. <laughs> Wasn't sure that was going to happen. <laughs> all right. But we need to have faith and we need to walk by faith. Psalm 119, verse 133. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. And let no iniquity gain dominion over me. Keep steady. We need to have faith that our kids have the potential to be something in God's hands. Not what I think their potential to be something is. But we need to have faith that we know that, it's got, that they have potential in God's hands to be something fantastic for God. We have to have faith that God loves and takes care of our kids better than we can. 
It doesn't always mean that things are going to go smooth. It doesn't always mean that they're not going to get hurt. I, I, if my mother was here, she'd tell you how many times I went to the hospital to get stitches. <laughs> it was a lot. But God still loves our kids. And that's one of the things that, that, you know, Caitlin's in London and she's doing a trip around Europe right now. If it was up to me, I'd have said no. Because I can't get to her. I can't rescue her. I can't save her. I can't, I can't do anything. I have to, and she's an, an, an adult woman and I have to let her go and, and trust God that he's going to take care. Um, you know, that protective thing with fathers comes quickly. Especially with your little girls. So if dads, if you're in here and you have a little girl and they're not dating yet, you're going to find out just how fast that protection thing. You didn't get the chance because you had all boys. Real quick story, I'll tell you. Um, Chelsea was, I don't know, probably eighth grade maybe. And this, she got home from school and this little boy calls my house. And he says, hi, is Chelsea there? And I go, who are you? And he says, oh, I'm so-and-so. I said, oh, do you go to school with Chelsea? He goes, yeah. I said, talk to her tomorrow. Click. And I hung the phone. <laughs> huh? I don't care what it was about. He called my house. <laughs> Caitlin, on the other hand, I have to do it. She's going out with this guy. He comes to the house to pick her up. He introduces himself. They're on the way out the door, and I look over him, and I go, hey, Jimmy. He says, my name's Johnny. I said, I don't care. <laughs> that is my favorite daughter. I said, if she comes back in the house any different than you're taking her out, and she says, Dad, Dad, I got this. I'm packing. <laughs> so Caitlin got her own. <laughs> I struggled with this whole concept about God protecting my kids because I think I saw the worst that the world had to offer. I worked with it every day. And I was sure that that could get to my kids. You know, um, a little bit of it did. But God still loved and protected us and took us through that horrible time in our lives. You have to have faith that God can change you and make you into a dad that he wants you to be. I can't always say I was the best dad. I was, there was a time I was, you know, a really kind of good dad i think my kids liked playing out in the yard and we had squirt gun fights i mean i think i, re I ran across the top of the roof of our house with a squirt gun hiding and, and and you know fighting with the kids and then we had an incident happen ryan's in the back because ryan was part of that and then we had the incident that went on and uh everything changed for me and i wasn't such a good dad because i forgot about taking care of my kids and i just got into this whole Nothing's going to happen, and I'm going to make sure of it. So I struggled with self-doubt a little bit, whether or not I could be a good father after that point. And let me tell you something. If you weren't a good father and you, you didn't do it right, that's okay. If your kids are still here, you still have a chance. You still have a chance. You can still change. Linda's dad, and she told me I could share this. He had a rough early years with them. But he changed. He found God, he found his life in Christ, and he, and he slowly evolved over years to where he was a big teddy bear at the end. And he was a good father at the end. So you, it, there's never too late. If your kids are here, you're never too late. 
Matthew, and, I, and I'm going to read, and this is a little prequel to a sermon I'm doing in a, in a couple weeks. Matthew 6, 25-33. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. And I will speak into this in a few more weeks. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of their life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the, the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of them. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need, uh, that you need, I can't read that. <laughs> them all, okay? And here's the key verse in this whole thing. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. This is walking by faith. That's what walking by faith looks like. Trusting God for all of these things in our lives. Especially with our children. If your kids. Dad. See you walking by faith. Imagine the lesson that it teaches them. That's how we do this. Walking with God means that you'll be a witness for God in all areas of your life because you are in alignment with God and you see things his way. 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. The first witness that your children hear and see is you. It's amazing to watch a small child look and Look and see what you're doing, and they start to emulate you. They start to copy you. So the words that you say in your house are the words they're going to start to copy. If you get angry and punch walls, that's what they see. If you yell, I mean, I, <laughs> don't. <laughs> I was a yeller. My dad was a yeller. And you can look at that, and it's a... It, so those things, you, you know, we need to understand that we're being watched at all times in everything we do. How we act toward things. Fathers make the difference. I wonder sometimes if those things that even I did change some thinking. Um, I, I, I kind of said I was going to push into this a little bit. And, uh, you know, again, what we do and how we act toward things makes a difference in our kids' lives. And I wonder, and I'm not going to say this made all the difference, but I wonder... There was a point in my children's lives when they were small that they, um, they were playing football. And football games were on Sundays. And I get that, they, that, that they think games are on Sundays, and I get it that the world does everything on Sundays because the world doesn't think Sundays are important anymore. And it wasn't so much that the, we were going on Sundays. It was the attitude that I had toward it. 
I basically said that church isn't important. Football was more important. And I made church basically irrelevant in the lives of my kids for a while. And I'm not going to say that's the only reason, but I wonder if that had any influence on the fact that I don't have my son sitting here this morning. I wonder. You know, I'm not trying to blame. I'm not trying to say if you do that. Listen, it's about an attitude. It's about how we make things important in our lives. My attitude towards church, that it would always be there, was kind of something that was just always in the back pocket. Like I said, I wonder if it influenced. What we do matters. How we talk matters. How we treat our wives matter. Because our kids see how we're supposed to respect them. How we act toward God matters. I think we have this amazing responsibility as fathers. Not just to have our children grow up knowing God and be in church, but balance. And I say that, and let me explain a little bit. Dads, how we treat our daughters It matters. It matters. Do we treat our daughters with respect? Do we treat them as equals? Do we treat them as valuable? They are made in the image of God. And they have value. Do we treat them like that? Do we value their opinion? I can say there was times in my fatherhood that I didn't value my daughter's opinions and I projected it on them and they knew it so to my daughter Chelsea I want to say I'm sorry I'm glad she was here this morning for this Caitlin, you too, honey. That was my fault. My daughters are amazing young women. Made in the image of God Almighty. To be respected and loved. They are not a prize to be won. I hate when I hear fathers say that. They are valued. And the guy, the guy that married my daughter, you're a lucky man. And I'm going to tell you that straight out. And I think that's the thing that sold me on you because you told me the same thing. And the guy that marries Caitlin, God help you. (laughs) (laughs) Fathers, to our sons. Let's teach our sons to respect women. The way you respect and talk to your wife is the way that your son sees how he's supposed to act toward women. You set the tone. 
raise our children to love God and respect and value the women in their lives and to stand up for what's right. Teach our children to stand for what's right. That's tough in today's world because it's easy not to. Stand for what's right and let your children see you do it. Micah 6.8. He, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Gospel musician Hilding Havelson, I can't say his last name, told of an overwhelming conversation between his son and two other little boys. The youngsters were bragging about their dads. One boy said proudly, my dad knows the mayor of our town. Another kid said, well, my dad knows the governor of this state. Havelson's son came up to them in this touching comment and said, that is nothing, my dad knows God. Upon hearing this, Havelson quickly slipped away from the room with tears in his eyes, he said, oh God, I pray that my boy will always be able to say that my dad knows God. And he knows he'd been paid the supreme tribute. We as Christian men and dads have been charged with what I think is the most incredible responsibility. We are to be the heads of our homes, the spiritual heads of our homes. Which means that we're responsible for those that God has put in our charge. And to care for them. Our children are our legacy. I just had a friend who recently passed. He was a pastor and he was, um, he used to go to church here. I think I was talking a little bit about the funeral. And at the funeral, he, uh, people were coming up and just talking about what a, what a great godly man he was. And that's, you know, what you would expect at a funeral. I didn't, you know, but I got to talk to his kids after. I think he has seven, eight, eight, eight kids. Yeah, seven up, eight kids. Every one of them has a relationship with Christ. That to me was like, wow, that's, that's a legacy. But understand we never stop building that legacy, ever. Our kids are here, we're here, we're continuing to build on that. Don't make things of this earth more important than they are. Don't put value on things we shouldn't. Put our value on what's right and what Christ says. I said before that having kids doesn't come with an instruction manual. I hate to say it does. It's called the Bible. And if you really want to get into it, this is one of those rabbit holes that I just did not want to run down this morning. So I'm not going to. I'm just going to mention it. The book of Proverbs. What a great instruction manual. I think one of the ones Chelsea used to tell me out of there all the time is, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. <laughs> that was her favorite verse. <laughs> but don't put value on things that aren't important. You know, we have to raise our kids. We have to work. We have jobs. We have to do the things we have to do to take care of our kids. Having faith in God doesn't mean I sit back in my living room and go, okay, God, feed me. You know, we still have to go out and be fathers. But priorities matter. 
I read this the other day, and I was a little, I don't know if shocked, I guess. And, and uh, Mike Mojica says, you're going to find a way to get the Dallas Cowboys into this sermon somehow, aren't you? <laughs> Mike Mojica, you're downstairs, but yes, I did. <laughs> Head coach Jimmy Johnson, and this is, I read this through four different articles and did the research on it. So this is, this is fact. Head coach Jimmy Johnson divorced his wife after 26 years of marriage when he left college coaching to become the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He said he needed his wife while coaching in college level for social functions and to show the families of the kids that he was recruiting that he was going to look out for their sons in profession. In, that he was going to look out for their sons. When he became the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys in professional football, however, he said that his wife was an unnecessary accruement, a distraction to winning. He said winning football was his number one priority, and his two sons were second. How tragic is that? But I have to say something good about the Dallas Cowboys, because it's just, I have to. Tom Landry, the former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, said the thrill of knowing Jesus is the greatest thing that ever happened to him. He says, I think God has put me in this very special place and expects me to use it for his glory in everything I do, whether it's coaching football or talking to the press. I am always a Christian first, and my family is second, and football is third. Priorities. Enoch walked and talked with God. The Bible doesn't really mention a lot more about Enoch. But if it doesn't mention anything else, that's enough. I want that on my headstone. Ben walked and talked with God. There was no greater compliment. It is possible in a world like today where all of this is still happening. So all you dads out there. Make sure that we're walking with God. That we're walking in the same direction that God wants us to go. Make sure that we're walking by faith and we're trusting God with all the things in our lives, including our family, including the things that are hard to see. Because God has made promises, but I can't always see them. But you need to trust in Him. And make sure that we are walking as witnesses and standing up for what is right and doing what's right in the eyes of God and our children so that they see Christ in us. Remember, the man you are at home is the man you really are. And the man you are at home is the man your children really get to see. Ryan, throw that last slide up for me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have grace and that you allow us and, and to make these mistakes as dads. God, we... Like I said, we don't come with any instruction manuals when we get kids. It's kind of just trial and error. But God, you give us strength and you give us courage and patience to, to deal with all this. So God, as we are raising our children, we pray that we would walk with you. That we would have faith in you. And that we would be constant witnesses for you. In a world that makes it very difficult to do so. Some of the decisions we have to make, God, may not be popular. 
They may not be what the world thinks is right. But if we're walking with you, we know what you think is right. So God, help us. Thank you for this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
thank you that you have shown us the example of holiness and uh, allow us the opportunity to draw nearer to that, to pursue that, to exemplify that in our lives out here and at home and in our communities and in the world. Help us, less of us and more of you. In Jesus' name, amen.